Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. You could also check us out on our website at www.healthy-perspectives.com. So it's a dash in between the healthy perspectives. Make sure you put an S at the end. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate your time. And today we've got a good one for you. It is the racism roundabout. That's what the topic is. Hey, look, we take on hard topics here. This one's going to be no different. Uh, In some ways, this one might even be more challenging. It's more consistently a cultural uh, topic that draws lots of attention, some good, some bad, uh, oftentimes lots of emotion. So today, prepare yourself. If you're feeling a little emotional, maybe you put this one off until tomorrow, um, but let's get after it. I'm going to go ahead and hit some of the hard parts right from the beginning. Some of you out there are probably wondering who I think I am, that I can talk about racism. And I want to put your minds not at ease. I want to put them to the test. I'm going to put them to the test right here, right now. Who do you think can and should talk about racism? Who? If your mind is going to a certain profile of some sort, uh, white people, black people, brown people, natives, immigrants, men, women, if you're going to a specific profile, then let me just be really clear to you. Right there at that moment, you're setting a preconceived notion, a judgment, a judgment that I Maybe should or shouldn't depends on if I fit your profile. That is something clinically we look for. As a therapist, one of the things I'm looking for are those those paradigms that we are always reaffirming. Well, only these people can talk about this issue. Only these people can do something about that. That's not the way this thing works. So anyone who thinks they are uniquely qualified to have an opinion or perspective about racism is already being judgmental. If you think you're just uniquely qualified, let me give you a little information. This is, I know I'm coming at you kind of hard already, but let me be really clear. You're creating a judgment already. Chances are you have some baggage that needs to be unpacked. If you are prejudging It's something that you're carrying in your bag, and it's something to consider. I personally am not uniquely qualified. I am qualified by nature of being a person, right? I'm I'm a person. I didn't ask to be born. I was born. And as a result, I am uniquely qualified as a person to represent, I don't know, a person. So I can only really represent myself. And truthfully, That's about all you can do too. We can try to clump each other together, but the moment we do that, we are dividing each other. And that is where racism begins. 
real quick, I want to go ahead and I want to establish limits of my understanding. Like I, I do not claim to be the expert. Do I have a lot of experience? Of course. I, I probably wouldn't take this on if I, if I didn't have some experience in my past that has prepared me to create this conversation. And hopefully, my hope, my prayer is that I do it in a good and healthy way. But I have limits. One limit. I can not, I can not fully know another person's experience regardless of their race, their ethnicity, their gender, their their struggles, their successes, I cannot fully know another person's experience. Number two, nobody can fully know my experience. Nobody. Not, not even my brother who spent a bunch of years with me, my wife who spent, spent a lot of time with me. Nobody can fully know know my experience either. Number three, I've experienced racism in many environments, but it doesn't make me an expert. I've experienced it as an observer. I've experienced it uh, firsthand. Uh, I have experienced it uh, through vicariously through other people in the therapeutic process. I've heard those conversations. I've been participating in those conversations. I've done it in groups and individuals. I've done it within families, including families who've adopted or families that have biracial uh, background. And number four, I experience feelings just like you. And that, at times, may create distortions. I'm no different. I was a person long before I was a therapist. And I want to be really clear I have emotions and I can have an emotional reaction just like anybody. And I say that because if I have an emotional reaction, it does mean there is a distortion of sorts. That doesn't mean it's bad. Emotions are not bad. They're also not good. It's emotions are information. I just wanted to lay that out because in the event I have a distortion, maybe you can have a little grace and understand that I'm doing the best that I can, just as I would hope you would if you were in my position. Let me give you the punchline. Here it is. Racism is a roundabout. It is not a one-way road. Let me explain that. As a roundabout, anybody ever driven? Okay, maybe you maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But most of you have seen the roads uh, if you're in America. And they have these little roundabouts. These little, you turn right and you can go in a circle. You just keep driving in a circle if you want. Racism is a roundabout. It's not a one-way road. What does that mean? Racism can come from anywhere and it can go to anywhere. That's super important for my uh, explanations that are coming. I want to make sure I'm abundantly clear that anyone can, therefore, be, behave, or experience racism. You can be racist, you can behave in ways that are racist, and you can experience racism, just like me, just like anybody else. So when I go to testing you, which I'm about to do, When I go into this mode of testing your triggers, look, I'm doing it not to make you mad. I'm doing it to let you see your own areas of strengths and weaknesses. So I'm going to challenge and I'm going to do it pretty hard. This is how I typically do therapy, by the way, that, you know, 
people go to therapy to get passive therapy. I think that's the most ridiculous thing. But that's just my own opinion. I understand that. But the reason I say that is if you really want to do something different in your future, it takes hard work today. Something has to be a little bit in the healthy way, painful right now, so that you can learn, grow, and be better tomorrow. So here comes the hammer. Why do people justify new racism? Okay, that's a big question because it's got a little bit of what you might call an assumption in there. But I'm going to clarify the assumption so that it's not an assumption. Why do people justify new racism? The assumption you might see is, well, there's new racism? What are you talking about? Yeah, there's new racism. Let me be clear. I'm going to give you some examples, and some of them are going to probably sting a little. It's not because I'm trying to hurt you or make you mad or because I think I'm better or anything like that. It's simply because I want to poke at what you think is just fine, probably, and may not actually be. I'm going to start with a pretty tough one. Black Lives Matter, BLM. If we change the language to white lives matter, does that bother you? The next one, there's a book, it's called Last White Man. If we change that name to Last Black Man, would that bother you? The next one, it's an older book, My First White Friend. How about if it was my first black friend? Does that bother you? How about what's happening with banning books that have racial content? Does that bother you? What if we, instead of having white nationalists, had black nationalists? Or instead of the NAACP, what if we had the NAACP? NCP, the National Association of Advancement of Non-Colored People. Would that bother you? I'm saying that to me, it's not just a white or a black thing. It's not a brown thing. It's not a male thing or a female thing. And that being said, I could sit here all day long and tell you whatever I want. What I'm trying to do is poke and prod a little bit. This next one is a more current thing. The Minnesota school district, their public school district, public meaning tax dollars pay for it, has just decided officially that when there is a layoff, if there is a person of color, it will skip them and go to the person not of color. That is a current example of new racism. It's new racism. It's racism, only new. Okay, I know I've hit you a little bit hard, but the point is, I'm not here to justify. I'm here to create the conversation. So the question at the beginning was, why do people justify new racism? I wanted to clarify that new racism exists. It's a real thing. You can argue with that all you want, but the facts are the facts. There is racism, it's new racism, and it exists. I want to talk about why do people justify it? 
Because some of you out there right now are probably irritated, frustrated, mad. You like you want to come through the uh, the the podcast and you know put your hands around my neck. I get it. I get the emotional reaction. And why do we justify that? Why do we justify that emotional reaction based on what's happened in the past? If we do something wrong today, it doesn't correct the past. No matter how much we want it to, it just doesn't. When I sit with a client, what they do today can't fix the past. What they do today can only prepare them and help change the future. So we can't go back and undo anything. What we can do is acknowledge the hurt and the pain in the past and then move forward, creating less hurt and less pain today and tomorrow. And yet there's this justification that, oh, it's okay because fill in the blank. Whenever you find yourself justifying, it is my encouragement because I do this as a therapist, I do this with clients all the time. It's my encouragement that you look at that as a red flag. That is a flag telling you, wait a minute, you're getting defensive. You're getting narrow-minded somehow, some way. We can tease out what that means, but first you have to acknowledge it. You have to accept that when you begin to justify a behavior, you're doing it because you want to believe that it is correct. Not because it is correct, because you want to believe that it's correct. And there's a reason why you want to believe that it's correct. Usually, most every time, like not every time maybe, I'm sure there's going to be a few exceptions out there, but the vast majority of the time when we go into justification, it's because we are betraying ourselves. What we are trying to do is say, hey, look, because of all of this, this thought, feeling, and behavior is acceptable, even when it's not. Maybe even especially when it's not. So there are types of betrayal. I'm going to go down that hole for just a second and, and explain that. I'm better than such and such. When we start to believe that we are better, I remember I started off telling you, I'm not uniquely qualified. Just because I have gotten an education doesn't mean I'm smart. It means I'm persistent. I mean, there it does tell you something, but it doesn't tell you I'm smart. I mean, it might tell you I'm smart. The possibility exists, but I'm definitely persistent. When we start to think that we are better than, that's, that's a, a, a quick betrayal of ourselves. And I say that because we were not made to be better than. You know, I see it all the time in, the, in, in politics. Uh, you also see it in economics when people think they know better than everybody else. And so they're going to invest your money better than anybody else could. I mean, maybe, but what makes them so special that they have this unique information, this secret way of doing things? Um, nothing, nothing. Need to be seen. The need to be seen as can absolutely betray you. When you do that, you often will become something you're not in order to pretend you're something that you're not. That's a betrayal. 
be you. It's the best version anyway. The next one is I'm worse than. When we start to believe that our value is diminished because of any particular thing, whether you're black or white or brown or male or female, it doesn't matter. Whatever you classify yourself as, if you, be, if you begin even a little bit to believe you're worse than anybody else as a result, yeah, that's a betrayal. You're not better than. You're also not worse than. Are you the same as? No. But you are uniquely you, and that's the best version. The next one is I deserve. Holy smokes, hello entitlement. When we believe that we deserve something because of something that somebody else did in the past, that's a problem. That's a betrayal. You are no more deserving of it than I am or of the next guy or girl. You're no more deserving. Would it be nice to have somebody you know, come up and say, hey, you're a, uh, you're a smart guy. Let me give you a million dollars. Of course that would be nice, but that doesn't mean you deserve that. You don't deserve that. And neither do I. So what do we do? We earn it. Uh, we, more importantly, give freely. See, less greed makes it so people don't feel like they have to deserve it, right? When we're generous and we set that example, when other people see that, then they become generous and then entitlement disappears. It just fades off into la-la land because there's no need to function as though we are entitled because our job is to be generous. I know I've been hitting you guys pretty hard. Hey, look, let's, let's be really clear. I, I don't know what this podcast, this particular podcast is going to do to a lot of people. I, I, I would anticipate that it's going to create and stir some emotion. And I'm okay with that as long as it's a healthy emotion. So I obviously want to point to how will we know when it's getting better? How will we know? And I want to propose some things to look for. So that when you see them, you can point them out and encourage them to happen more. I believe, and again, this is an opinion now, obviously from lots of therapeutic experience and background that I have, and I didn't get into that this time. And my opinion is, we'll know we're getting better when decisions aren't made because of race at all. When they're not made... Again, I mean, we could even expand on that and say when they're not made because of gender at all, then we'll know that we aren't judging those aspects of a person and saying that that defines them. Oh, you're a male, therefore you're defined by this. No, just see the person, experience the person, accept the person. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything they say, everything they do, everything they claim to be. You don't have to do that. We will know we are getting better when decisions are made because of justice. Justice. Remember the ethics, if you followed me at all, the ethics that I went over. Autonomy, non-maleficence, beneficence, justice, fidelity, and veracity. When we talk about justice, like Einstein said... If you ask a fish to climb a tree, it's going to spend its entire life feeling stupid. 
So justice is about fairness. It is not about equality. I know I probably just triggered a whole bunch of people. I get it. But fairness says, I'm going to treat you uniquely as authentically as you are. That's what I'm going to do. If you're a fish, I'm going to ask you to swim. You're a monkey, I'm going to ask you to climb. If you're a bird, I'm going to ask you to fly. If you're good at athletics, I'm going to ask you to use that to better the world. If you're terrible at athletics, I'm not going to ask you to use your athletics to better the world. If you're smart, I'm going to ask you to be smart. If you're, if you're not so smart, I'm going to ask you to do something else. Because treating you uniquely is truly what is fair. And because of the challenge of this particular topic, I'm going to give you some solutions that I, I often use in the counseling world. And the question posed, that is posed that I want to stem from is, how can I make it better? Because I get people like, how can I fix this? How can I make it better? What can I do? How can I make it better? I'm going to give you some ideas. These are, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a good list. Number one, talk about it. You can't know somebody's, somebody else's experience fully, but you can take time to get to know somebody else's experience some. Talk about it. And talk about it with regard to race or gender or anything that you want, but talk about it. Let's have the hard conversations. Number two, listen. When somebody's talking and you have that idea stuck in your head, do me a favor, listen with a pen and paper. Jot down the thing that you are thinking so that you can put the idea on the back burner and fully attune, pay attention to the person in front of you. They may have something coming out of their mouth that helps you see them and possibly the world around you in a better, more healthy way. Number three, be patient. I'm going to say something stupid. You're going to say something stupid. It's part of the process of learning. If I had all the answers, if you had all the answers, we wouldn't need to have any conversation at all. So be patient and understand somebody who was brought up to be racist, regardless of the color that they are, because it happens all over. Remember, it's a roundabout. It comes from any direction and it goes every direction. Be patient with them. If you've grown up in a home that is filled with racism, you don't know different until you experience different. So to have the courage to ask questions and to say things and get feedback, man, that should be celebrated, not punished. When somebody says something ridiculous, it shouldn't be, man, you're stupid. It should be, hold on, wait a minute. Where did that come from? We want to encourage that conversation to happen so that we can appropriately, through good, healthy relationship, help them adjust their course if they need to. Or maybe we're the ones who need to adjust our course. And the fourth one, and I'm going to leave you with this, stop assuming. It's a bad practice in relationships altogether. We don't need to assume. When we look at somebody, it's 2022. You don't know their race. You don't know their family heritage. You don't know where they came from. You can say, well, yeah, they look white or they look black or they look brown. 
Um, okay. I mean, yes, your eyes give you information. I'm, I'm glad you have eyes and I'm glad they're giving you information. You know, some people are blind and they can't get that information. So I'm glad you can recognize that they have a color. It doesn't mean they are a specific race. Most people I know, actually almost everybody I know, has multiple race genes within them. Multiple. Not just one, but many. And the result is everybody who's assuming is actually wrong. So let's not assume. Let's ask questions if we're curious. If you see somebody and you're like, man, you you may have some family heritage that goes back to Asia or Europe or Africa, or you could just be part of the melting pot. Maybe you're Hawaiian. You know, like maybe maybe you're 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 a Mexican. Maybe you're Canadian. Like at the end of the day, the assumptions are causing just as much of the problem. So let's come up with another option. Maybe instead of assuming, if we're really curious, you know, be bold and just say, hey, where does your family come from? Ask the question. You might open up a dialogue that changes your whole worldview. It's happened to me. It's happened to people that I've worked with. It can happen to you, but it will never happen if you don't talk, listen, be patient, and stop assuming. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope this wasn't too hard, but I hope it was still hard, and we can have good conversation. Let me know what you think, and have a great day. 